Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. We're continuing our series entitled Extraordinary, where we've been studying how ordinary people can do extraordinary things because of our extraordinary Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus set an extraordinary model of servant leadership as he washed the disciples' feet. In John 13, 15, it says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Our message is titled, Servant Leadership. Here's Associate Pastor J.C. Thompson. Well, good morning. Those young people from Anderson did an excellent job this morning. Yes, you can clap for them. Yes. Listen, it's hard to be a young person today. And I'm thankful that they are following Christ's call on their life. And y'all sing pretty good too. Good job. Hey, uh, thank y'all for being here. We're continuing our series called Extraordinary today. And we have been looking at uh, really this verse that we started with. Uh, In fact, uh, it comes from Acts 4.13. You you could turn our passage today will be in John chapter 13. But I want to just kind of remind you as Josh and I have been walking through this series of this verse where we started at in this series was this picture of the disciples Ordinary men, uneducated, but they were doing extraordinary things. They were showing extraordinary characteristics that were not theirs previously. And Acts 14, 413 says this. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's on the screen somewhere. There it is. Members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And these men that this verse is talking about had seen some incredible things. I mean, they had seen Jesus do things with his hands and with his words that are unimaginable. And they were changed by them. They were changed by the person of Jesus. And so... You know, Josh and I have been trying to draw this out of just trying to get you to to feel, to sense what it's like to be with Jesus and how he changes you. And so today's no different. In fact, today's moment is a moment where the disciples are shocked by something that Jesus does. And it creates this response in them that's a common response. I think a response that anyone in this room has felt before in their life. And especially as you're serving people, as you're given to people, this is, this is a moment that you will recognize that people feel today uh, when, you, when you come up next to them and try and love on them in the way that Christ would. Um, today's message is entitled Servant Leadership. And so I thought I'd do an experiment. I, I asked on Facebook this week before Facebook got all crazy, which it got crazy this week. I mean, it's always crazy, but this week was crazy. I heard all kinds of thoughts about what Jesus thought about college, uh, college debt. He, he, was, he was not very clear on that uh, when he was here on earth, but, but anyway, I had, I had to get off. It was starting to, starting to move my barometer in the wrong direction, so um, I, had, I had to get off. But before all that got crazy, um, I asked a question, hey, give me an example from television and movies that you feel like exemplifies leadership. And so I got all kinds of stuff. First, one of my friends posted uh, Shadow from Homeward Bound, which if you don't know, Shadow was a dog. Uh, that was not the type of example that I was looking for. Um, although great movie, uh, that I loved as a kid. Um, but I, I just want to pull a couple out of that Facebook post. These, these three men here, uh, are 
Uh, some of them you will probably recognize. There's Captain John Miller from Saving Private Ryan over on my left. Yes, you, I guess you can cheer for a fictional person. Uh, there's uh, Aragorn, more fictional, uh, <laughs> from Lord of the Rings. And then, uh, you know, that guy over there, he's very contemporary uh, with the stash. Uh, his name's Ted Lasso. So Captain John Miller was uh, in charge of leading a successful search and rescue mission in Saving Private Ryan, where uh, he was rescuing James Francis Ryan, who was the last of four brothers still alive that served in the military. And so they successfully went and got him. And if you, minute, if, if you remember that movie at the, at the end, towards the end, he shares with him, you know, earn this. You know, all these people had sacrificed their lives to get you. So, so like, don't waste that. Don't waste that powerful, powerful moment. Uh, Aragorn, who one person mentioned several times in several different memes and gifs, uh, it was very funny. Um, they were a huge fan. Uh, <laughs> but, but he, huge battle. The whole world's about to end, basically. And so he takes his troops into battle to distract Sauron so that Frodo, this little hobbit, could throw a ring into the fire and then the entire world is saved. Uh, I know, it's kind of weird if you don't know. But anyway, uh, Incredible bravery, battled many times, eventually made king because of his example. A human being in a world where no one, very few people are, are humans. Uh, it's very, very interesting. And then Tad Lasso, uh, a, a charming, witty, former American college football coach who was then hired by the ex-wife of the owner of a English Premier League team, which is soccer, to come and be their coach. And uh, the ex-wife was hoping that she would destroy, dismantle the team in this way. And Ted Lasso, through his ignorance, but also his uh, charming attitude and excellent sense of leadership skills, really starts to persuade everyone to be on his side that he can really turn it around. But I, I want to share some of these examples because the reality is, is culture is always trying to tell us how to think, how to view things. And leadership is no different. It's another one of those areas where culture's trying to tell you, this is what it means to be a good leader. But the idea of culture dictating what something means happened way before mass media. In fact, as we've been through this series, we've talked about this a number of times, but the disciples had a picture in their head of who the Messiah was going to be. He's going to be a war hero. He's going to be somebody that, that ruled with an iron fist. He was going to vanquish all the enemies. You know, you can even remember back when the Israelites demanded a king, they picked their king based on his physical appearance. He was taller than everybody else. He's a good looking man. He's got to be king. So culture defines these things for us. But then Jesus came and he showed us, here is leadership from God's perspective. By serving and sacrificing Jesus is about to do something that's going to shock the disciples with one act by washing their feet. And I chose today's theme verse from this passage, John chapter 13, verse 15. It just says this, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Do as I have done to you. So if you got your outline, you can go ahead and take it out. Servant leadership involves exercising initiative, exercising initiative. Verse one, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. 
He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. And those three verses are a big setup. John is trying to get you to understand all this going on behind the scenes. He's trying to set the table for you so you can understand, even if you're not from his culture, you can understand why what is about to happen is such a big, dramatic moment. He wants you to know. And he points out these three things from these three verses. He says, Jesus knows he's about to pass. He also knows and he loves his disciples. He loves them to the very end. Even though one of them is about to betray him, he loves them. And he knows that God has given them all the power in the world. Verse four, continuing. So what does he do? What does he do knowing all those things? So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. John writes this picture with so much understanding for us because he wants people to see this is not an ordinary event that's happening. This is one of the last moments that Jesus would spend with his disciples. Now, y'all know if you've lost a loved one or you've been around someone who's lost a loved one, those last moments play out in your head and can alter your life. They can change the way that you think about life, death, how you spend your time and resources. And ultimately, they can change your picture of the person who passes. And so Jesus is taking these moments. He is aware. He is being intentional with one of these last few moments that he has with those that he loves. Yet, the disciples who are already seated at the table, they don't want to wash each other's feet. Now, this task of foot washing was seen as the absolute lowest tier job of the lowest tier jobs of servants. But I think if you were to ask all 12 of those disciples, even Judas, I think if you were to ask them, any one of them without hesitation would have washed Jesus' feet. I really believe that. But I don't think for a second they wanted to wash each other's feet. And so you can just imagine sitting at the table knowing that this is expected, Somebody's supposed to wash each other. You can just imagine measuring everybody at the table. Who's going to step up first? So what does Jesus do? He takes the initiative and he acts. His decision to act in that particular moment was important for a number of reasons, but I, I want to point out some of these because it's the same for us. Like these are all reasons why when we're in a situation where something needs to be done, where service is required, we can go, is, is this my role? Is this my responsibility? Here's, here's a few of them. One, timing. Man, this is crucial. Jesus is nearing the end of his life. And we know that the last things that someone does, they last longer in our hearts and in our minds. Relationship. He knew them. He cared for them. He loved them. And he knew them from all the ways human beings know each other, from spending time and sharing conversation and shared experiences. But he also knew them in a particular way because he's also God. He knew who they were in the deepest parts of them, and he loved them. Third, there was an opportunity. 
Jesus was not only washing the feet of those who were faithful, but he also washes the feet of one who would soon betray him. And the opportunity was there, and Jesus took that opportunity. And then last, he had a relationship of authority with them. They called him teacher many times. They saw him as their leader. And I think it's important to point out because sometimes in in our culture, our uh, secular consumerist worldview that we live in, especially here in America, we sometimes think the goal is to get to authority so we don't have to do anything for anybody else. Everybody does stuff for us. But that's not the picture that Jesus ever gives of authority and leadership. His very act of not staying in heaven but coming down to earth showcases that model for us. But in this particular instance, Jesus is even willing to do what culture deems as the lowest job on the totem pole, to share love and care for those that he leads. And I think it should be the same for us. So when we have these chances, we should look at the timing of those things, the opportunity, the relationship that we have with the people involved and also in a, our authority structure and figure out these are things that we should have under consideration when we're thinking about leadership. These, these are factors to consider. These are things to understand in the context of what is the right thing to do. Part of wisdom and discernment is understanding the context of a decision that's about to be made. And I want to share something because sometimes we use words sometimes, words are funny things. We kind of all agree on meaning, but then time goes on and maybe they mean something different. And today, especially, words are real funny. Everybody kind of says something and hopes everybody understands. And I know this because we have several languages represented in this church. And so I know I have a tendency to talk very fast. I've been told by the interpreters, chill out, Uh, which they tell me in English, thankfully. Um, But I I would just say this. I, I think I want to help, especially a group of people in here that get kind of get the burden placed on them a lot of times. And I think it's the burden that God gave. But men, husbands, fathers, I want to talk to you for a minute. Give me your ears for a minute, okay? I hear counseling people, talking with families, talking with young people. I hear this this phrase or this request a lot. And I really wish my husband would lead our home spiritually. I really wish my dad would lead us spiritually. And I really think... If you're a follower of Christ and you're a man, I really think that desire is in there. Like, I don't think it's from a lack of desire sometimes. I think sometimes it's a lack of clarity. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean, lead spiritually? I barely know what it means to lead, like, in my job. Like, what does it mean to lead spiritually? And so I I, I think it's helpful to just give some clarification. And this isn't just for men, but I think men in this role is something that's crucial to us. So anybody in here can lead. And so I think this definition is helpful, okay? So hear, hear me when I say this. Here's what I think a good example of a definition of spiritual leadership looks like. This comes from Jeremy Pryor. He's a director of an organization called A Thousand Houses, a disciple-making organization. And he says this, spiritual leadership is initiating spiritual activities. Spiritual leadership is initiating spiritual activities. And for us us in this room, I think this is a great gauge because we can measure it. Okay, you can look at your life and go, when it comes to spiritual activities, prayer, time in God's word, time in community with the family of God, okay, time spent in service, both your family and outside of your family, giving, 
Men, you can ask yourself, am I initiating the decisions? Am I initiating the activities in these ways? You can ask that question and you can measure it. You can measure it. You can say, yeah, you know, I'm really trying to push forward. What I also love is it puts spiritual leadership in the right way. The results of spiritual leadership come from God. I know sometimes we want to put all those pieces of a person's dead heart turning into a a heart with life in our hands and how effective we are as leaders, but it's just not true. God is responsible for the results. And so our role is to initiate, to put ourselves in the pathway of experiencing God. Men, husbands, women, children, young people, you got to take a step. Jesus most certainly did that. In fact, as we've seen throughout this series, the many things that Jesus did, Jesus was active. Even when he was resting, he was taking a step against what culture tells us to do. He's initiating spiritual activities. So I think it's just helpful to see that. And listen, foot washing was degrading. You gotta gotta think back to that culture. There were no closed-toe shoes Okay, it would have been expensive to take all that material to fully cover your feet. And so they, they weren't made that way. In addition to that, there's not long socks. And you're walking on roads that are not paved. Okay, and it's hot. Now we know in this culture, if it's hot outside and you got socks on, your feet are going to be nasty. Even if they're fully protected from the other elements, they're going to be nasty. And so I kept trying to think this week, like, is there a, like, a, like a contemporary example, a modern example today of like foot washing? And I really just think it's still foot washing. It's gross. But you can imagine walking on a, a dirt road, like, we, you know, South Carolina, we, we got red clay all around. You know, if you got dogs, when it rains outside, they're, man, their feet are nasty, right? I don't know another way to think through that, just the task of washing someone's feet is low. But in addition to that, Jewish culture especially despised that idea. In fact, rabbinic tradition would say that a Jew should not wash another person's feet for any reason. So Jesus not only initiated an activity, a spiritual activity of service, but he also initiated that particular activity that none of the disciples would have expected Jesus to do because he's in a higher authority than they are. It would have shocked them to see him get up from the table and take off his robe, bend down at their feet and wash them. I want you to put yourself in that moment. When you look at your life, is it possible that God is showing you some opportunity to show initiative in your own life? Is God whispering to you, here's where I want you to take a step? Here's something I'd like to see you initiate. Here's a a way that you can move forward in your life. James 4, 17 says this. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So here's a question. Are you initiating spiritual activities in the life of those that you have influence over? Are you initiating spiritual activities in the life of those you have influence over? Servant leadership also involves encountering shame. Encountering shame. Verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, 
Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I love Peter, guys. I love him. Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. So I'm going to give you another translation of that. No, Peter argued. Jesus could have said, hey, you're not going to understand this right now. When he said that, Peter could have said, okay. Sit back down. That's not Peter. That's not what he did. He argued with Jesus. He said, no, you will never, ever, JC's translation, ever, ever wash my feet. That's not going to happen. You're not going to do that. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well. Lord, don't just do my feet, do all of it. Man, I love him. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Peter expresses something in this interaction with Jesus that I think is crucial to us understanding what it looks like to serve those when the gospel, sharing the gospel with someone is truly our aim. Peter's statement, his argument, his obstacle to what Jesus was doing came from one emotion, shame. He felt embarrassed. Wouldn't you? You're sitting at the table wondering which of the 12 of you is going to step up to the plate to wash people's feet and never in a million years would you have even imagined that Jesus would have ever even been on the category of people to choose to wash people's feet. And yet that's who stepped up. Man, what a moment. Imagine, imagine for a moment being in Peter's shoes and seeing who Jesus is, knowing everything you know about him, experiencing everything that Peter had experienced, knowing that Jesus serves countless people over and over and over again and knowing that he is your boss. Nothing but love from Jesus all the time. That's, that's the person of honor at the table. And that is the person who steps up to serve. And so Peter feels shame. And I think all the disciples did. I really do. I think they all felt ashamed. I think they all felt embarrassed. Peter's particular response to that is pretty common for Peter. I think something drums up in him emotionally and his response is to fight. His response is to argue. His response is to debate, even if it's Jesus. Yet Jesus never encourages that response. Romans 10, 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. If you're a child of God in this room, you will never be put to shame by God who knows everything about you. But don't miss this. It's not just Peter. Jesus washed Judas's feet knowing Judas would betray him. Just to clear that up for you. Judas, who was being used as a pawn for the evil one's scheme, Jesus still chose to honor and serve him. Would you do that? I'm not talking about somebody you kind of don't like. I'm talking about somebody who is against 
your plan coming to fruition at every turn. And what do you think Judas was thinking? You know, we've seen throughout the Gospel of John, he gets these clues from Jesus that Jesus knows who he is. So I think Judas knows that Jesus knows. And yet he still washes his feet. What would you have felt if Jesus stands up to wash your feet? Knowing who you are in comparison to him. If you're living in deep sin and rebellion against God, how does this story strike you? Maybe you're someone who is so angry at the church, so angry at God about how you've been hurt in the past. How does it feel that Jesus Christ is moving towards you? Not angry, not frustrated, just wants to love on you in the midst of your shame. The leader of the movement that you may have an issue with is proactively moving towards you for your best interest. Some of you in this room right now are feeling ashamed of choices maybe you've even made over the last few days. They can be as simple as a conversation. Maybe it wasn't simple what you said, but you wish it could have gone differently and you carry that with you. For some of you, it may be that you've been drinking too much, struggling with gossip, committing adultery, hooked on drugs, lying, laziness. There's a number of things that you could be struggling with and when you think about them, what you feel is shame. Your feet, your heart, your mind are dirty. And yet what shame does when used by the enemy, it tries to isolate you from God's pursuit. It tries to separate you from him. But what's Jesus doing? He keeps stepping towards you. Not to overwhelm you, not to dominate you, but to say, I love you. I know everything about you. And I love you. And I'm not stopping coming towards you. See, Jesus is making a statement here. He's not trying to point out. He's not trying to look at Judas and say, the gig is up. I know it's you. He's not doing that. Could he? Absolutely he could. He doesn't. He is trying to provide to each of those men a relational connection and a model of sacrifice and humility meant to draw them closer in relationship with them. He's trying to get closer while you are trying to get further away. After Jesus explains the purpose of this foot washing, Peter wants all of it. I mean, he's like, get, it, get all of me, Jesus. It is so, I, I love him so much. Because when you, when you talk with people and they're dug in on a position, like Peter is, verbally expressing, uh-uh, I ain't doing this. And then immediately he goes, all right, everything. And he, the, the language in the Greek shows you he ain't happy to like, he is overjoyed in one statement. I, there are a few human beings that I've met like that. They exist, but they're few and far between. I mean, y'all know this with kids, right? 
I'm not doing that, mom and dad, never. Could you just imagine for one, you say one statement and they go to, absolutely, let's do it. I just can't imagine that, right? It's so hard to think through those things. But that's Peter. His relationship with Jesus is so strong. He so believes that whatever Jesus has for him is the right thing. And even though in the midst of his shame, as Jesus moves closer to him, Peter says, have all of me. Have all of me. But Jesus also declares that not all of them are clean. He's trying to help them understand why he's really there. He is there to redeem their life. He is there to save them from their sins. He is there to fully cleanse them so that they inherit a new family, a new heart, a new life. But he also says, by separating, taking a bath from washing your feet, that you're going to need to clean your feet up continually. It's the same thing with us. As we continue to follow Christ, as we continue to obey what he asks us to do, as we continue to move towards him, as he moves towards us, we're going we're to sin. We're going to get roughed up by somebody else's sin. This world's a tough place to live in. And so while we do get an initial cleansing by being born anew by God, forever and always, we're a child of God if he's birthed us anew. Praise the Lord. But we also have an opportunity to come clean with God on a regular basis. These continual practices of faith are ways in which we can come to God and get our feet cleaned off so we can keep walking in a clean state with him. Those practices are things like time with God in prayer, confession of sin, time in the scriptures, time with the church family. And they offer us an opportunity to be with God and receive a clean conscience from him daily, even sometimes multiple times a day. I think Peter and most of the disciples felt unworthy to have Jesus wash their feet. Now, I want to give you my opinion here, okay? Perry says this to y'all, but I just want to clear it up if you don't know uh, this. It's my opinion, so throw it away if you don't like the opinion. This is, this is my particular picture of this. I think when they showed up to one of these things, you got, you got to remember, Jesus has been kind of dropping hints all the time, right? He's been dropping hints saying, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up, right? Like he's dropping hints all the time to these, these guys. I think this dinner that they're being invited to, I think it was their time, like kind of how we view retreats and vacations. I think they were thinking, when we get to dinner, we're just going to all sit down and relax. He's going to teach us. He's going to train us. And I think in some of them, they thought, you know, Jesus had told them, y'all are going to do greater things than me. I think some of them thought Jesus was going to give them some kind of superpower at this dinner. And then it all gets flipped. All gets flipped. Jesus, by washing their feet and honoring them, shows them that they are loved, they are capable and that in order to receive God's blessing in their life, they must open up absolutely every part of them to him. Is there an area in your life where you feel a deep sense of shame? Where you wish you could go back and change it? Are you willing to open yourself up vulnerably in a community of Christ followers to share that shame? In fact, the scriptures teach us when we confess our sins to one another, we find healing there. Healing. 
Not just like you check it off, but like you can get healing from sharing your moments of shame with people. And that's hard. I understand. Listen, hear me out. I think all of us in this room have shared information with somebody that then we've regretted. Wish I didn't share that. But for some of us in this room, maybe the only way that you may find true freedom is by us sharing with each other. Sharing the love of God together. If you're feeling that sense of shame, are you willing to bear all that you have to God? He's stepping towards you. Would you just fall in his arms? Would you just fall into him? God will not reject you if you offer your entire self to him. Servant leadership also involves an example to follow. An example to follow. Verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Then after this incredible moment, Jesus sits down to instruct them on what he just did. Jesus is instructing his disciples and he's instructing you that if you're going to be his follower, if you're going to be Christian, if you're going to be one who belongs to Jesus, you are committing to a life of service and humility. If Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whose very hands healed the broken, whose very hands broke bread and multiplied it, whose very hands would go on to be pierced for our sins. If that guy can bend down and use those very hands to wash the feet of his disciples, how much more so should we be willing to serve those who need it most? Please don't miss this. Jesus taught, or Josh taught this last week about Jesus, this glory that Jesus had being manifested. These men saw it. They saw him talk to Elijah and Moses. In this room, when we share what God has done in our lives, we've had people healed of diseases in this very room where doctors say, there's only one explanation of this. We have had people's marriages restored in this very room right now in situations where both parties would say, ain't never gonna happen. That, Jesus, 
is the one who's always stepping towards you. And he's stepping towards you in humility. Not lowering himself in status, power, or authority. Lowering himself to connect with you. He's still God when he serves. How much more should we as only human beings, albeit with new hearts, should be willing to serve those and get our hands dirty? Not only did Jesus become human just so he could experience humanity and live life in obedience to God so that he could fully take on our sins, he also stoops down to perform the lowest task of the lowest task. An entire people group would never imagine any person doing that, much less God himself. And Jesus was trying to say, guys, this is it. This is how you do it. This is leadership. This is what I'm calling you to, to bring the message of the gospel to people. And when you bring it, they'll experience shame because the news is so good. And you wash their feet and you share the message of God with them. The only way to lead in God's kingdom is to lead as a servant. And listen, some denominations, some churches, they elevate this particular act in a higher place than I think the scriptures do of washing the feet. I don't think that was the point. I don't think the point of Jesus washing their feet is so we would all wash each other's feet in church. I don't think that's the plan, okay? This is not the same place as baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are mentioned multiple times throughout the scripture as something that the church should participate in. In fact, this is the only time in the scriptures where foot washing actually occurs in this way. Now, it's mentioned in other locations. The Old Testament talks about ritual cleansing and in the New Testament in 1 Timothy as one of a group of good deeds that widows should participate in, but it's not to be elevated in that way. The heart behind what Jesus is doing in this moment is one of humble servant leadership. And he's helping the disciples understand it's not just the job to share the gospel. It's also the job to be the gospel message for people. I've been changed. I have many things, many things in my life that God has forgiven me of, continually forgiven me of. And I'm a picture of that. And Jesus is saying, live out that picture. Live it out. You're ordinary guys. We all know it. You all know it. Live it out. First Peter 2.12. Peter, that guy, wrote this. He said, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. In other words, your example in following the example of Jesus could be the leverage that people will use to ultimately surrender to God. Your example of living a godly life. Are you willing to do that? And I want to shortchange you. This is not a small task to serve your enemies, to take your standard of what are acceptable tasks to participate in 
and then drop them even lower. And we do that in following the God of this universe who did that on our behalf. And Jesus shares at the end of this passage, he shares, if you'll do that, if you'll obey God in that way, that God will bless you. The scriptures are clear. When we obey God, God blesses us. He blesses us when we obey. Psalm 1, Psalm 119, Psalm 128, Proverbs 16, Luke 8, all talk about the blessing that it is to obey God. It's the way to live the way that God intended us to live. And when we follow the example of Jesus, we will be blessed, promised from God. Now, many of you in this room are working in places that are pressuring you to not exercise your faith in Christ. But I want to encourage you with this passage of Scripture, Jesus sees your faithfulness. And He will bless you. We should be willing to take on a lower role in order to point others to the grace of God available to them through Christ Jesus. Jesus, after washing the disciples' feet, continues on with supper. Next week, Josh is going to close our series and we're going to take communion together. I want to encourage you to be here for that. If you're in here and God has been nudging you, pursuing you, stepping ever more closely to you, First of all, man, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for you this morning. We've been praying for you this week. We've been praying when we meet over here as a staff. We've been praying that you just fall into God's arms. Our care volunteers are gonna be down front and they would love to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. They'd also love to pray with you if you are living under an identity of shame. And you just need to confess. This week, Brookwood family, let's find some ways to show someone the love of Christ in a way that is undeniable. If you're watching online, man, get connected with somebody that you can serve this week and point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's lead in our homes, our community groups, our jobs, our schools, our sports teams, all with the goal, the priority, the purpose of trying to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, it would be shocking to everyone in this room that when we feel the most ashamed, you move closer to us. You don't turn your eyes away, you focus on us. And God, I believe there are people in this room, there are people watching online right now that they feel a deep sense of shame, either from their own sinfulness or God, because of a sin that someone committed against them. And I pray today that you would cleanse their heart. If they are not your child, God, that you would adopt them into your family and you would birth them anew today. God, as we go back into this world this week, God, help us, guide us, resource us to serve those in our worlds, to serve those in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. 
And God, we pray that we would see you working as we do all that you ask us to do. It's in the name of Christ we are able to pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. To prepare for next week, read Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 30. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review so that others can have a transformed life in Christ as well. Thanks for listening and have a great week.